There's a solitary, humble, wooden structure on a windswept hill in rural New England. To open the door is to engage our minds, our hearts, and our imaginations. In this place, preachers and professors, past and present, come alive as they walk the aisle, ascend the pulpit stairs, and teach. From theology, from history, and from the Word of God, welcome to the Saybrook Meeting House, an audio production of Saybrook Ministries. Today, we present the second part of Ben Keller's message, entitled, The Word Made Flesh. It is part of an Advent series, studying the Christology statement published by Ligonier Ministries. It was preached at Refuge Church, in Linwood, Washington, on December 13, 2020. Article 15. We affirm that Jesus Christ ascended to his heavenly throne at the right hand of God the Father, that he is presently reigning as king, and that he will return visibly in power and glory. We deny that Jesus Christ was mistaken about the timing of his return. So Article 15 is about the second advent of Christ. Article 15 is about the second advent of Christ. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. A little bit of a time machine here. We're, ent- we're, ending, the, uh, <laughs> we're ending the year at Acts. This is just where we started in January. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they, this is the disciples, had come together, they asked him, that's Jesus, the risen Savior, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things... As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, these are angels, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There's a great turn of phrase in the King James Version of the Bible where it says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing. What does that mean? Rightly dividing comes from a compound of two Greek words that mean to dissect correctly. And that's one of the primary tasks, for example, in the art and science of architecture and construction. If the elements, if the constituent elements, if the planks and boards and beams and bricks are not dissected correctly and then placed in their correct place, 
the structural integrity of that building or whatever it is is going to suffer. And if it's bad enough, you won't even be able to build it. So when we come to the subject of Christ's second advent, this is what we need to happen, uh, have in mind. Uh, the Refuge uh, Men's Happy Hour is going through the book of Revelation right now. Is it complex? Yes. Do we understand all of it? No. Do we know more now than we did when we started? Yes. That's the task before us. And all too often, and I include myself in this, Christians approach the study of scriptures the same way the disciples approached prayer and watching in the Garden of Gethsemane, meaning, namely, they fall asleep after five minutes. And our Lord would say to us, can you not study my word for 30 minutes? Can you not pray for 15 minutes? And often we find ourselves weak, like the disciples, don't we? Ask him for help. He'll be faithful. The denial of this article talks about the fact that we deny that Christ was mistaken about his return. So historically, that has stemmed from people who have looked at portions of Scripture and uh, done one or more of the following things. They've wrongly examined them. They've wrongly explained them. And or they've wrongly applied them. An example would be Christ's discourse to the disciples on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24. It's a challenging passage. I'm not going to lie to you. That's a challenging passage. His Olivet Discourse. Rightly divide. There's similar challenges throughout your Bible. There's challenges in Daniel, Ezekiel, when it comes to prophecy and eschatology, 2 Thessalonians, Revelation. They're out there. So don't build your prophetic, your eschatological, your end times belief views without due patience and humility and diligence. Rightly dividing, dissecting correctly. Ask the Lord, Lord, give me the power and the energy and the illumination that I need. I want to know more about you. Help bring your scripture to life in my heart and mind. And you'll find the Holy Spirit will often give you the desire and the energy and the ability. Article 16. We affirm that Jesus Christ poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost and that in his present session, that's a word that means to rule or exercise authority, he is reigning over all things, interceding for his people, and building his church, of which he is the only head. We deny that Jesus Christ appointed the bishop of Rome as his vicar, or that any person other than Jesus Christ can be the church's head. So Article 16 is about the headship of Christ, the headship of Christ from your notes. Now let's go to Colossians, and then we'll be in Hebrews. So start off in Colossians 1. Verses 15 through 18. And I want to share two texts related to this 
article. Again, there are way more in the, the stuff that you've already been sent out, I think, via email. And the statement itself is uh, readily available online. So you can see the whole list of proof texts as you want to dig into it. But I was trying to uh, share with you guys, in the interest of limited time, uh, some of the most representative ones. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Paul's letter to the word, uh, church at Colossae here. He says about Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is, this is where we get to the uh, relevant part, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So here we have Paul saying he is head of the church. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 27. Hebrews 7, 23 through 27. Again, we do not know for certain who the author of Hebrews is. Some think Paul, some think Apollos, and, uh, and then there's uh, your guess is as good as mine. Hebrews 7, 23 through 27. The former priests were many in number, talking about the Old Testament covenant here, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. So here we see that Christ is the head of the church and our great high priest. We have no need of a priest or a bishop or a cardinal or a pope. And the pope, again, is who the Roman church would call the vicar of Christ. So let me ask, do you know what it was like to live during World War II? Do you know what it was like to live during the Great Depression? Do you know what it was like to live in the Civil War? No, because we weren't there. So histories and biographies help us mentally put ourselves there. But those we know who were there during it, if you lived through 9-11, you experienced it. It was in the air. And there are certain intangibles there that are hard to communicate. So, same thing I would say about the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. We weren't there. So we have to trust what they say was in the air at the time. 
at this far removed, 500 years later, we can find ourselves saying, what was the big deal? Luther and Calvin getting into all these arguments and their theology seems to be so important to these guys and they're pitching a fit. Why were they so stubborn? Why did they see Rome as some font of diabolical error? So thankfully we have in Calvin's writings an answer. So he was there. He experienced it. His life was in danger. He had all sorts of deprivations and persecutions. And there are reasons why he was so upset at the idea of the Pope as the vicar of Christ. By the way, if you're thinking that word vicar, that's the same word we get vicarious from, right? Uh, It drove those guys nuts that the Pope or anyone would interpose themselves between fallen humanity and the great high priest, Jesus Christ. So try to listen to this with fresh ears as Calvin describes the condition of the church immediately before the Reformation. Because we weren't there. We have to listen to these people. He says, The light of divine truth had been extinguished. The word of God buried. The virtue of Christ left in profound oblivion and the pastoral office subverted. Meanwhile, impiety, that's his nice way of saying rank sin, so stalked abroad that almost no doctrine of religion was pure from admixture. No ceremony was free from error, and no part, however minute, of divine worship was untarnished by superstition. Now, you can say, well, Calvin was wrong. You can deny his assertions. But if he was right, then that is a church greatly in need of reformation. In many ways, the Protestant Reformation was all about the reclamation of Jesus to his biblical position as the great high priest. And we do not have to go, you, I, any human being on earth, through an intermediary for our redemption. And that's great news. Thank you for joining us this week at the Saybrook Meeting House. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast. Saybrook Ministries' mission is to provide didactic and devotional content from the Christian faith delivered to the saints, recovered and refined by the Protestant Reformation. Be sure to visit saybrookministries.org for continually updated Christian content designed to inspire and invigorate our imagination and intellect. Join us next week for another journey to the Saybrook Meeting House. Until then, may God bless you.